0: Another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but that the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest for me. I would argue one of the most influential vocalists for myself and, and part of one of the most influential hardcore bands ever from the band Zero Zero, from the band High School Sweethearts, but from the band Lifetime. Ari Katz is here. And we tend to we tend to overlook his incredible achievements in hardcore as well. He was also a touring member of the band upfront, a founding member of the band Resurrection, and uh and and part of the Demogods, enough. New Jersey Demogods, enough. More on all that in one second, but first. If you'd want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at, at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but I think I booked this one myself, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan. I love you. Thank you for all the hard work you do for this show. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at left 4 damien And if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that you enjoy this podcast that we do over here. Several times a week now. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on the platform that you're listening to it on. And you can also head over to patreon.com slash turnedoutapunk. And thank you to everyone that does do that. And check out the fun stuff we do over what oh, oh, over what, over there as well. And speaking of thanks, this thing would not be possible. With the kind loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, we like what you do. Just don't do it out of your own pocket anymore. And they've helped me cover the cost of this thing. And it has been... Incredible. And also check out uh, Vans Channel 66. They've launched over there on YouTube. A lot of former guests of the show. A lot of people I'd love to have on the show eventually, too. Playing music and, and talking about music and talking about culture. It's it, Check it out. There's a lot of great content over there as well. Uh, oh, and if you're looking for great content, go over to FloodMagazine.com and look up Punk As Fuck or Punk AF A series of videos I did walking around Los Angeles. We go to Brian Ray Turcotte's Punk Rock Museum. And I say that uh, without hyperbole. It is incredible. This guy's collection is uh, truly one of the greatest collections of rock and roll memorabilia ever. And it just happens to all be punk and hardcore stuff. Also, uh, take Don Bowles and uh, Steve Albini to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. There's, There's a bunch of videos over there. Check them all out. And if you're looking for audio content, Fucked Up has a brand new chapter. No, it's not a chapter. It's like a movement. I, I it's gonna be side three when this eventually comes out on vinyl of Year of the Horse. It's about 29 minutes. Features Matt from the National on it, who's I'm a huge fan of as well. And yeah, check that thing out. I'm very proud of it. All right, I think that is it. On to today's show. Today on the show, a legend. Now, I think Andy from tear it up, introduced me to him at the Bouncing Souls party that they had a couple years ago, and I was starstruck. Like, this is someone who, uh, I don't know, we we talk about it in the episode, but when they came out, like, it was a seismic shift in punk and hardcore, and I'm sure if you were alive to experience New Jersey's Best Answers release, you remember that. (laughs) Afterwards, pop punk became, like, kind of the thing. Uh, They are, to call them a pop punk band feels like uh, minimizing their significance. They are Oh, I love Lifetime so much. One of my favorite bands. And also, uh, you know, Ari's like this guy that's done all this other stuff, too. Like, he's done Zero Zero, which we talked about. He's done um, uh, High School Sweethearts. He's also got an incredible, though, brand new hardcore band called Beach Rats, which continues in this kind of tradition of him being involved in a lot of great hardcore bands, going back to Enough, who I mentioned off the top. And now he says this, the Enough demo is going to come out. And if you have not heard this thing, whew, I love this demo so much. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. This is one of my, I don't know, I listen back to this thing, and I'm like, this is this is one of the best ones. I love this conversation. All right, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Ari Katz on Turn Out a Punk. Ari, thank you so much for coming on the show yeah man thanks for having me well as i was uh you know we're just discussing off air and i I had to just go to record because you were uh you know verbalizing an internal monologue that i've had rattling around in my brain for years and i'm like you know what we're probably gonna wind up having to discuss this again on the podcast so let's jump right in but before we get there i gotta start this thing off the way they all start off which is ari how did you get into punk you remember the first time you ever came across the genre
1: yes i think i was in uh summer camp uh some counselor gave me a mixtape and it had like a lot of it was it was definitely not a punk cassette but it had like a dead kennedy song but it also had like a stick song (laughs) and you just had like like you know like 20 awesome songs of the time and Mm -hmm. uh Like that was the first time I heard like weird punk music. And then uh, and then once I knew it existed, I went to uh, the flea market in um, in uh, Edison. And uh, I went to the record store and I said, do you have any punk music? And he gave me uh, Circle Jerks Group Sex. And that was
0: that was it. So that you met at camp, like obviously just giving you like a, a, you know, a random kind of selection of music. Were they punk leaning or like, where do you think they found the Dead Kennedys? Because that's kind of pretty obscure at that point still. Yeah, I don't
1: know. It had like, it, it, you know, the tape had like David Bowie. It, it, it was just <laughs> like all over the place, just like. I, I don't know. Like I, I I didn't even know it was a thing to even ask him what it was. It took me a while to realize like this sounded different than all this other stuff. Like it was all very new to me.
0: And what'd you um, have been into, what had you been into prior to that? Like what kind of music were you into kind of, you know, as a young person?
1: So like you know, uh when I was probably like around nine uh, I don't know how, but somebody gave me just an AM radio and I would just listen to AM radio. and that's like until I realized there was really other stuff out there, um, that was it, like oldies and whatever current music was was going on, but just the radio.
0: And what brought you to that record store to ask for that punk record was it hearing that Dead Kenny song was like that the thing that really jumped out from that tape to you Well so so
1: I I knew a metal kid and I was trying to explain this music to him and he said it sounds like punk rock <laughs> and so I then I was like oh that's punk rock and then like that's how I knew to go to the record store and say like do you have any punk rock music like I, I couldn't, I couldn't even name a band to the guy at the time. I just said punk rock music.
0: <laughs> he, you you lucked out with that one too, because that's like you know a pretty a pretty good first record. I remember he
1: was like, he's like, I don't think so. He's like, oh, this is the only thing I have, and that was the <laughs> only for for him for that to be the only thing he had. And um, I was like hooked instantly. Like that record, uh, I still listen to that record all the
0: time. <laughs> yeah it's it is it's amazing like you know i know obviously you know black flag is is you know of a certain level of importance but i don't know just something about that record like that that's probably my favorite 12 inch or lp from. oh my god from start to finish that
1: thing is just like i mean and it's so short so it's perfect like i just pop it on at work all the time like i'm just like love it it's
0: yeah still, yeah um so where'd you kind of go from there like after getting the group group sex record? So,
1: all right, so then, okay, so then what happened was my, my best buddy at the time who lived down the street from me, Um, he, oh, he knew, he was into like Iron Maiden and stuff, but he knew that I was trying to like, that I liked this thing called punk. And he, so, and he was like, oh, and, oh, and Han- so Hanukkah was coming up and he got me a, Buzzcocks cassette, and Black Flag Damaged, and I remember, uh, like, the Buzzcocks, I was like, ah, eh. although, of course, like, you know, they're absolutely, like, probably one of my top five favorite bands, but, like, um, I remember listening to uh, Damaged, uh, like, on my Walkman for the first time, you know, being, like, 13 years old, and, never hearing anything like that before and uh that was you know i still listen to that record all the time <laughs>
0: well it's funny like you said with the buzzcocks like it, it it's it's amazing like you know like because you're, you're almost starting at the more extreme end so of course it sounded pretty tame compared to like group sex right and damage
1: it, buzzcocks was a little bit more identifiable to me you know like i was mm. like oh that's good but like but like, I've never heard uh, anything like damaged before in my life that like it scared the shit out of me um, when I first listened to it. Like, you know, just like, like bothered me, <laughs> but in a good way.
0: <laughs> so how old are you at this point?
1: Uh, I'm probably like 13 by now when I'm when I really like identifying that there's this thing out there and then of course I was like into getting into skateboarding and then like once you sort of discover like Thrasher magazine then like a whole world opens up because you just see pictures of like punk graffiti and then um, you know I just used to So I just, so I just, so from Black Flag, you know, I discovered like the SST catalogs and then I would just go to like, I would ride my bike, you know, a couple miles to this record store and look for anything with SST on it or anything that looked weird at this point, because I couldn't really like, you know, I was like in, uh, I think it was record world. I think it turned into tape world after a while, but, uh, (laughs) You know, just like trying to sort of like piece together clues and, uh, you know, really just, um, you know, you know, it was like impossible to find records back then. There wasn't like a punk record store where I lived or, um, you know, it was just, you know, finding stuff on SST basically in the beginning, (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, it's so different now, obviously, because it's just like the free sort of flow of information. But at that point, like if you found a label and you're like, okay, I like this label, you would just dig as deep as you could in that one place because you knew, at least I know this is somewhat familiar at this point. Yeah, you know, and like and, you know, you just.
1: Searching and searching for like that thing, because, you know, especially now, like I knew that it was out there. And then, like you know, I was like obsessed with like trying to find out what this shit was. And then I think, like, really, what broke it open for me was um, my first show was uh, Husker Do at uh, they played at in at Rutgers, not on the New Brunswick campus, but on, on one of the other campuses, and. Um, I think it was like when Warehouse Songs and Stories came out, that record. Um, I think that's what it was. But anyway, so like, so this was my first show. Like my mom drove me there and um, with a few of my skater buddies. And um, at this show, I, you know, like I, I, I circle pitted for the first time. I had like my fake combat boots on and a flannel tied around my waist like I try to look like the circle jerks guy of course (laughs) and um but what happened was that night it was my first ever show so that night um I don't know like I was like just standing there in the, the edge of the pit and I met this guy AJ and um and like I made some kind of like joke and he kind of laughed and that was that and then the next day I went to the art store to get some like paint markers for my skateboard. And I ran into this guy again that I saw at the show. And he like later turned out to be the singer for my first band, Enough. And um, he was already like, he had already been going to CB's at this point and like knew everything and everybody. and And then, you know, then I really had like, this like access
0: to everything. So was that who's could do show your first like concert period or just like your yes. first punk concert? Whoa. That
1: was my first ever concert punk show, whatever. Yeah.
0: So that must've been, you know, like were you prepared for like the moshing the circle pit? Like, you know, cause it wasn't really, well, I had like... seen
1: pictures, mm-hmm. um, you know, like in Thrasher and I knew like, like, I didn't know what the dancing looked like really like how it worked or anything like that and i didn't you know i just the whole thing was you know just incredibly exciting and uh you know life-changing
0: like what brought you to that show like did you go by yourself or
1: no like um I, i don't really know exactly how but at that point you know like you know i guess like i said through thrasher and whatever like magazines were around like um, you know, Husker Du was certainly at that point, like big enough to, um, you know, draw a lot of attention. And so like everybody knew like this show was going on and they were sort of punk. <laughs> you know, I didn't really understand the nuance of like how Husker du went from being a hardcore band to what they became. And, you know, um, but uh, yeah, it was a big show.
0: Were there any openers on it?
1: It's a band called
0: Christmas. Oh shit, from Boston, right? I think.
1: I guess so. Like it's one of those bands like only a few people have ever heard of, and no one knows what they sound like.
0: Yeah, uh, they're on Homestead. They put out and they're also right, on the right. they're on the bands that could be God comp with Deep Wound.
1: <laughs>
0: they're uh they're uh yeah, but like you know, like you're saying, like this is almost the birth of college rock. Like, were you Oh it was, it was, yeah, for sure was it what you were hoping for? Like obviously being like a, you know, a circle jerks and black flag fan at this point, like, was this what you would imagine in your mind? Like,
1: well, you know, at that time, like every band that I came across and that I heard, like no one sounded the same. It was before bands sounded the same. So it's like, you know, my, my mind was like totally open to like any kind of sound. Like, so like, You know, I know, like, in hindsight, you look back and people were bummed out that Who's Crudu became more of, like, I guess, rock or pop or whatever. But, like, that shit was always there. And, like, to me, you know, I I didn't know that there was anything wrong with that, if there was Mm -hmm. really anything wrong with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I
1: love love
0: that band the whole way I mean, at that
1: point, I was listening to, like, you know, like, like the Violent Femmes record was still one of my favorite records like you know it's I wasn't like strictly hardcore yet
0: (laughs) why I I still ride for that Violent Femmes record I run for ride for all the Violent Femmes records so yeah yeah, yeah. and and it also does kind of like it does connect back to punk right like it's part of that continuum oh for sure yeah So, what were the the kids? Sorry, going back to that show. Like, were there other kids in your high school that were excited for it, or like was that like you're saying they're big? There was like
1: there was like um, so my town Edison is like three two uh, three towns over from New Brunswick, which is a college town. Mm -hmm. So, like, um, there was always. Like some kind of punky college weirdo rock scene going on over there, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, like, you know, my area had a, it turns out had a history of of like you know some punk some some crucial punks living living in that area. Um, what
0: was the point of this? Well, I know I'm saying? just. <laughs> <laughs> I ask myself that all the time but no, I'm just I'm just kind of like were there other kids in your high school that were getting into punk rock like oh, so
1: so okay right right so it's from, from my re- recollection like I was the first kid that that had sort of knew really was like interested in um punk and hardcore at the time. Mm-hmm. but like all of my you know I had like a, a, a crew of like skater buddies. And like everybody, eventually, you know, um, got the spirit. So there was like, there was like, um, you know, we did have like a little crew that was, you know, totally trying to experience what was out there, you know, skating and and discovering punk rock and hardcore
0: so you mentioned the world kind of opening up for you after you met aj like what kind of happened next for you did you start going to more shows i guess well
1: so like so then he gave me so i i remember he gave me the youth of today record break down the walls and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah. like that's the first time i heard something like that and i was like this is fucking like it took me a while to realize it's one of those things like it's is, do I like this? Do it, you know? And, um. and so he had been asking me to go to CB's. He's like, you got to come to the matinees. And this was probably like, I don't know, 86 or something like that. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to, like, I was kind of afraid to like go into New York, um, you know, and, uh, but eventually I went, and um you know the first show i saw there was uh, they call it the shutdown show so it was like youth of today uh side by side oh fuck i can see the flyer now a lot of like uh i'm sure people really know who this who the lineup was yeah it's legendary uh,
0: it's one of the legendary kind of
1: names. it's one of the most legendary shows yeah and um but so that was my first show and you know i just like met everybody it's like hey this is this is matt this is blah 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 you know you just met everybody and you knew everybody like instantly and um you know like knowing all these dudes and bands and watching them start these bands and put out these records was like you know like for a young kid it was like like that's what i want to do Mm. you know and it's still all I want to do
0: (laughs) were you already playing drums at this point
1: so you know we we decided to start a band and uh when we started enough and I the first time I ever played drums was at our first practice and I was like I remember like setting up being like man it's gonna be so fucking easy (laughs) and like I, I couldn't like I when I when I decided I wanted to be a drummer is because I was listening to Seven Seconds of the Crew and all I could hear was the hi hat <laughs> and the snare. Yeah. And then I was like I talking to, I was talking to my friend. I'm like, listen, man, I could do this. And he's like, Yeah, but there's a he's hitting the kick drum too. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and um, but you know, I it I I learned how to play drums very painfully, like in front of you know, other kids that were learning how to play their instruments at the same rate. So um yeah that was that was um in high school. Yeah like nine no yeah like ninth grade I started trying to play drums.
0: So how long uh is that when you're starting before you guys record that demo because your drumming on that demo is pretty fucking sick.
1: (laughs) Thanks man. Um not long probably like a year or something like that. Mm I mean, like, it, it's well, it's thanks for saying that it's sick. Um,
0: that demo's incredible. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> like, I, I'm sure you know, it's like a legendary demo. Yeah. In its own yeah.
1: Right. yeah. It's actually coming out. It's really like getting a, a real release with uh, lots of pictures and drawings and stuff and, and lyrics and original lyrics. And yeah.
0: That's awesome. Cause it is like, you know, for years, it's kind of like I said, especially in the internet era, it's it's flowed a lot more freely, but it was definitely like a tape that, you know, long before I think I even knew that you were involved in it, it was just like, oh, the Enough demo, the Enough demo is like a legendary <laughs> kind of demo. That's the best. I love that. I love that. What were the influences on Enough at that time? Like, because it is definitely, you know, it's harder than Youth of Today. Like, so where, where are kind of like, where'd you guys kind of go after that shutdown show? So...
1: Like we were like the guys in Enough were really like you know, like we loved everything. Like when, when Enough started, I think Uniform Choice is probably our favorite band. But like once shit started getting really fucking hot in New York, uh, it was all about New York. Like like um once bands start like, you know, like when when the breakdown demo came out and like um so many bands back then like like the raw deal demo like absolution when they came out like just all these bands like really being fucking different and like heavy and um we wanted to be like me enough sounding like new jersey guys trying to be like new york guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and doing the best we can
0: and did you guys I, i'm sure you guys well i know you guys did you guys played into that new york scene though right <clears throat> yeah we like we
1: played a lot with um um you know we didn't play in new york i don't even know if we played it we played all over the place um but like you know we we were like friends with the Icemen. We got to play with them a bunch. That was really awesome to, to like I think they were one of the best bands too for a while, like live. Holy moly, the Iceman. But um yeah, we, we got we got in with like the New York scene and and people were really nice to us.
0: <laughs> what was that scene like at that time? Because you know, it's it's you know, obviously a very storied scene and there's been a lot of people on the show that have You know very different interpretations of you know the violence or or just the experience of going to those shows what were your takeaways from that time
1: you know like there was a time that i think i i had to stop going and um and when it felt kind of played out um but i spent a, a an insane amount of time thinking about New York hardcore for some reason.
0: <laughs> and um, <laughs> you're in the right place. Honestly, this is the, the, I spend a lot of time thinking about it too.
1: But so like when I first started going to CVs and I met, like, I remember one night I met um, Walter and Siv and like we like I went with them, like they got a haircut and then we got falafel. It's just like, to me, these guys were like fucking, you know, like, sounds silly. Like, you know, they were like gods or something, you know? Um, But they were so down to earth, you know, and like, so like open and, and like their intentions and like, you know, like the way people talked about hardcore and what they really wanted hardcore to be was like such an awesome thing. And the best thing about New York hardcore is that no one sounded the same. And like, you know, like, and that's like, to me, like the golden era of, you know, hardcore music or punk music. You know, it's when no one wanted to sound the same. Like Mm -hmm. your buddies would make a record and be like, they'd like figure out some new shit and you'd be like, Holy shit, we got to fucking do better than that. And, and it just like, but it wasn't like people were trying to sound like each other. They were just trying to like create something that was always pushing. And like, that's what I loved about like New York hardcore is that it like, for a period of time, it was like this, like the this crazy amount of creativity and, um, and I think it's really cool when people do really creative shit with <laughs> mosh parts and fast parts.
0: But <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying about that city at that time. Like you look at a label like Noiseville Records, you know, and they're putting out like weird noise rock. They're putting out like Breakdown. They're putting out Inside Out in New York. They're putting out goth records, like just digging around that city. You know, and that's just like one shitty little label. Like there's just so many labels that were – drawing from these bands that just, none of them sound the same. Like there's just, it's all like unique takes on punk and hardcore.
1: Yeah. Like something weird happened. Like, I think, I I don't know when it was, but when it, you know, I don't know if it's like the, um, you know, like the youth, like when, when people started trying to sound exactly like old scenes, Mm. like, um, I don't know when that, whenever that started happening. Um, Cause before that, it was always about like growing and progressing.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you go to uh, the ABC No Rio show when the, when they first started happening, those early shows?
1: Um, I went to a few early ones uh, that I played. My band Courage played one of the early ones. Um, and uh I saw Jawbreaker there. That was really
0: great. Whoa, at ABC No Real. I had no idea they played there. That. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I was I was there, but that that was a little bit, I was a little too I wasn't like I wasn't exactly like part of that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit more clean cut, suburban boy.
0: It's funny that place elicits like, obviously, you know, very celebrated venue and went on forever. Like it's, it's, it's a very key place in DIY, but there's certain people that have come on the show and certain people I know that are from New York or New York area. And they're just like, no, I never went there. I did not like that place. It wasn't for me. And it was just, it seems like it has like a real, uh, like polarizing response. Well, it's like, you know,
1: I don't know. It's like back then you just sort of had to like, it was a little bit about clout. You just had to be able to like walk into a place, you know, like if, you know, I just think I didn't love all the bands that played there, but they would, they would get, they would put together some really good shows. And I know all the people that like put the place on were all like kind of offshoots from like the CB scene. So it's like, um, I know everybody there was like, cool. Uh, But um No, it wasn't my big hangout.
0: Yeah, uh, you mentioned Jawbreaker, and I've always been fascinated by like where did that melodic influence on you come from? Like like melodic punk, um, you know, in particular. Like you mentioned being a fan of Buzzcocks later, but like like were you a fan of you know fastbacks and Jawbreaker and all that kind of like more poppy stuff that was happening? At that oh, moment? of
1: course, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, uh, of course, Jawbreaker. Um, I love the fastbacks. Yeah. Like I always loved, um, you know, like I think growing up with like, like AM radio and like oldies and stuff, I just love, always love like poppy hooky melodic stuff. And so when I, when I first got in, when I first heard punk music, like I loved shit that had. A melody, you know, like, you know, it was like faster and louder, like even better, but like, if there's a melody on top of it, like that really like got me psyched. And so I don't know, I just always loved and gravitated towards, you know, melodic and poppy stuff like that. But I do love the hard, the hard guy stuff too, though
0: like i i kind of found out about you guys through you know like the like i guess the first time i saw you was that we'll get into this show because it, it was a life-changing moment for me but that afi <laughs> good riddance uh riot show <laughs> in toronto that happened um right. but by that point you guys had almost been assumed um by like pop punk like not that you guys were you know subsumed as an actual band by pop punk but like just pop punk bands were championing you guys and more like sort of like the west coast epiphat kind of scene like you know really got behind you guys like were you aware of that stuff or or like you know like pennywise and and no effects and all that stuff that's starting to happen on the west coast or is that just completely a different world um
1: no i was definitely into uh some of that stuff like um uh yeah. I mean, I, I, Pennywise, no, but I mean, I, I definitely liked some no effect stuff and um, I was listening to everything. I was really like paying attention to what was going on at all times. Um, so like, I was like into like any kind of punk stuff and indie rock stuff too. And um, there's so much good music then, you know, so many like different little scenes going on, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no it was uh it's just it's amazing how regional it was too like you know different areas would have their own sounds and it was you know not that every band would sound the same but like there's almost like certain things would hit a certain geographical area and like kind of take off and not in other places necessarily
1: yeah that's like the beauty of pre-internet is like Mm -hmm. you know like regions had you know time to like sort of create something before everybody figured it out or heard about it you know like things had time to develop regionally
0: so did courage and enough overlap at all
1: no so enough broke up because uh the singer went to jail uh for a little bit and um so we kind of broke up and then that summer uh, that band up front from Connecticut, they were going on a tour the summer of, uh, 89. They were going on tour and their drummer couldn't do it. And so I had two weeks to learn, uh, the upfront LP, which (laughs) has like, has like 150 songs on it. And they're all like thrash beats. And, um, so I learned that stuff and then I was in up front and I went on tour with them for two and a half months.
0: Two and, and a half months? Oh,
1: two man. and a half months, 1989, like no cell phones, no nothing. Like you're just like, you say goodbye to, your, to everybody that knows you. And then like, no one hears from you. And you might like,
0: never come back.
1: You, yeah. You know, I was <laughs> eating like, we were eating like Taco Bell hot sauce because there was no, <laughs> you know, money um but like it was the sum so it was not 1989 so it was like the summer where like every new york youth crew band was on tour so like bold was on tour super touch was on tour youth of today were playing their last shows like every fucking band was out uh chain of strength we we're like and all, all these tours were overlapping all across the country and like we just played with like every band that summer. And um, that's also the summer before Start Today came out and we somehow got a cassette. Oh, we were touring with Unit Pride too.
0: Oh, fuck. That's one of my favorite bands ever.
1: And Instead. Whoa. It it was Upfront Instead in Unit Pride. And then we were crisscrossing with all the other bands and like playing shows with them. Yeah, it was pretty sick. So like... Um, what's it called? Uh, I don't even know what my point was. But
0: so, uh, God, so where would you like? Where, like, obviously, you know, the West Coast. I can imagine those shows being nuts. The East Coast, those shows being nuts. But like, what were the shows in like the middle of America <laughs> like?
1: <laughs> yeah, we we played we played a upfront. So then then we had some shows just on our own. Yeah, like us headlining. So then we 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 played a show at a bar in New Mexico (laughs) with, with a pool table right in front of the stage. (laughs) And like, no, like no one came, no one knew who we were. There's just like some like locals there. And the promoter put us up in this mud dwelling of some kind and we wake and we go in there at night and he's like, oh, there's no electricity. Just lay on the floor. We lay on the floor, wake up in the morning and like, the sun comes up and there's like these fucking duck heads fused, fused to the windowsill. Like they were there, looked like for like a hundred years. And then there was jars of black widow spiders on these shelves and then nothing else in this fucking room. So then... That sounds like I, a nightmare. That's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but so then, then I came home and did my senior year of high school and Upfront kicked me out. And so uh, so that's when I started Courage. And I started talking to an old friend of mine uh, from Edison who lived in Florida but was moving back. And the singer Roger, who sang in Upfront for that tour, and we started uh, that band Courage.
0: Did you guys ever put anything out, Courage?
1: We did a split 7 inch with release.
0: Oh, Courage-release split. Okay, absolutely. Yes. I think I have that record. I just had no idea you were in that band.
1: Yeah, yeah. I played drums in that band. But then they kicked me out.
0: (laughs) So then you realize the one position in a band you can't get kicked out from.
1: (laughs) Well, so then I was like, fuck this shit I'm like fuck music I'm not fucking doing anything so I like sat in my room for a bunch of months and I didn't do anything and then um it was like summer and I was like fuck it I'm going out and I went to the Point Pleasant Boardwalk in New Jersey and I saw my buddy Rob Fish singer of Release and um I was like I think I want to sing in the band and uh and then he gave me. He had in his pocket that he just grabbed off the wall the uh, a flyer that uh, Dan Yeman put up to start a band, and that's how I met Dan Yeman and started Lifetime, and that's how that happened.
0: So, were you were you ever kind of like desiring to sing prior to that? Like, had that ever been something you know? So, like,
1: I, in high school, I fucked around. I always forget about this, but I fucked around with a few friends and I tried singing and I tried to sound like that's when the Gorilla Biscuits demo came out and I was trying to sound like Siv. Mm. And I was like I could do that. And um I couldn't do it. <laughs> but um but you know for for I think I always wanted to sing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um but you know it took me a while to really decide like i'm gonna do it and then even once i decided to do it it probably took me months to like make a sound on a microphone i was like petrified
0: like did your voice come quickly like like because you, you, you have such a distinct vocal like was that something that once you got on that microphone you found easily or did you try different things first Oh i
1: tried so like when i first started seeing lifetime i think i wanted to you know i tried to sound like mark ryan like, he was, like, to me, and he still is, he's, like, one of the coolest singers ever, you know, like, and, um, so, like, you know, I think I would just kind of, like, Mark Ryan it, and, uh, and, no, it it's taken me forever, and I still feel, like, every time I open my mouth that I'm, that I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm trying to remember how to do this, and, I used to, like, I think I know how to do this. No, I don't know how to do this. Um, it's it's an ongoing uh, struggle for me to
0: sing. <laughs> I find that, you know, I don't find that actually surprising because I find it the same way. Like, it just, it's something that, you know, like every time you go up there, it's like, well, this, this is the night that I end up sounding like Cal on Brave New World. Or something like is this the night where I fuck it all up?
1: Yeah, it's just and you know, like I it's for me it's so psychological. Like it changed like my voice has changed over the years and like it's you know, like um but I still feel like it's this thing that it's almost like a person you like a family member that just won't let you know them all the way <laughs> like they love you and you love them but like and they're there for you but like they just don't let you into that one place <laughs> and that's that's my relationship with my voice
0: <laughs> that's a perfect analogy you know but I think that's that's also because it's like like you're saying like you're you're not trying to sound like anyone else you're just being you right so it's gonna it's gonna yeah you, you don't have anything to model it after
1: yeah yeah so yeah you get to a point after a while like you know like being inspired by people and emulating certain things and and you know now it's I'm just I just do what I don't know what I do the thing that I do (laughs) I don't know what it is (laughs) like sometimes I think it's um, it's I have a very weird relationship with it but I'm okay with it. Like, I know that I don't have like, um, you know, I think I want to be like technically perfect and I want to be in my mind, there's singers that I want to be, but I know I, I just don't have that instrument. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have like a little bit of a, like, like a little bit of a broken instrument (laughs) and, uh, you know,
0: it's, um, but I'm, I'm okay with it is it weird now to hear people emulating you? Like it's been not happening for years at this point. I don't mean like it's just happened like 2020 or something, but, but like, is it weird to then hit a point where all of a sudden you're, you're, you're hearing records and people are, are doing you, like you were trying to do Mark Ryan.
1: Well, yeah, it's, um, it takes me a while. Like sometimes to, like, and then I'm like, wait, cause what'll happen is like, I'll hear a song or like, and you know, I'll start like, Mimicking it, like trying to make my daughter crack up or something, and then I realized, like, wait, I sound like me. <laughs> 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 like I used, she used to watch like what's new Scooby Doo, and I think like uh, what's that band from Florida? They did, I think they did the music for it, like a pop punk. What's new Scooby Doo song?
0: Is it uh, uh newfound
1: glory? Yes, yes. So like we used to watch that for years, <laughs> yeah. and like I used to sing the song, you know, and I be making, you know, I'd be like doing the voice and I was like, but that's, but that's my voice. (laughs) I'm like, I'm sort of cracking on him, but then I'm cracking on myself. Um, but, uh, you know, um, but it's weird too. You know, it's like, so my daughter, like, it's like, I don't think my daughter thinks I have a good voice, but she knows I'm a singer. (laughs) And so like to try to explain to her, like, like, you know, you know, like, you know, I I came to, to the realization that people like what I do and I have to be very grateful for that. And so I can't be too hard on myself that I don't have the voice that I have, but I still really like singing, you know, because like some people are afraid to sing, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky that, you know, people like what I do and like, I, I, remember that when i do what i do because it makes me (laughs) enjoy doing it more
0: (laughs) yeah no i and it's also like it's so unnatural like to get up there and sing in a band and hear your voice recorded like to to like it would mean you were a monster i think like if you were someone (laughs) that like like you you'd have to be like a narcissistic like demon oh i like but man it would uh, yeah
1: i guess so but yeah
0: yeah, that's funny. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it's it's amazing when uh, New Jersey's Best Dancers came out and uh, just like, you know, like obviously bands in Florida, but just, you know, even in, in Oakville, Toronto, like that record came out and it was like all these bands just being like, and all these kids just being like, okay, this, like forget, forget all this earth crisis and Snapcase band stuff we're trying to do. We're going to be this band from now on. And it just... It was like a complete cultural shift that happened.
1: You know, I was really lucky because when, uh, I don't know if it's lucky, but like when Lifetime broke up, um, I I like really, I just like took a vacation from hardcore. So for at least like a year and a half, I think I didn't know anything was going on. And then when I, like, started, like, a record store, that's when I, you know, people started, like, telling me about all these bands. And I really started realizing that people were, um, you know, really influenced by it. Um, But I never hated anybody about it. Like, um, I think it's kind
0: of flattering, for sure did you like how long after new jersey's best Answers did you guys break up the first time i mean i think we broke up before it came out yeah that's what i thought i remember happening yeah it's so you guys really didn't get a chance to kind of like experience any of it right like you're still like could you could you kind of feel it during hello bastards and touring out on those tours like that tour with weston like that something was like, changing? Like, could you feel it at all? Or is it just something that's just so removed when you're actually living the experience?
1: Um, No, there, there was a noticeable, I remember when um, like people always liked us, Mm -hmm. you know, but um, I remember like a little bit after Hello Bastards came out. I remember like, just, I don't know where it was, but I remember there was one show and I was like, like the crowd was like, extra excited and happy and into it and I was like, this is the way it's supposed to be
0: <laughs> this isn't like a hardcore show <laughs> what's going yeah, on here <laughs> like not
1: like you know you know and also for a while it was kind of like people with like backpacks and uh again, I didn't hate that either but you know like like moshing wasn't like really having like going crazy wasn't um very fashionable mm-hmm. and um, I started noticing like people really were starting to just like have fun and react to our music and know the lyrics. And yeah, it was it was a noticeable thing, but like we didn't, we got way bigger after we broke up. Like we didn't really experience, uh, you know, our last tour, we were still like, Man we should be bigger than them, you know, there's only fucking, fucking 50 people that knew us here, and, you know, we still were just that, you know, yeah. going through, like, that, like, torment of, like, is anybody ever gonna fucking like us, and, like, all of our friends are getting huge, and, you know, it was just, like, was all that shit, it was, like, um, you know, touring to me felt very hopeless but I think it was like my uh, you know at the time I think I just couldn't handle it like I just didn't have the you know I took everything way too hard and personally I was way too serious about everything
0: I think that's a lead singer thing right like I think you kind of wind up having to do that just because of the nature of the gig
1: like every minute of it was just like gut-wrenching to me
0: yeah yeah no I I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying um and also you're probably also working through that upfront tour two-month tour two-and-a-half-month tour trauma still uh, you know like that's well, something that's going to scar you for life oh that changed me
1: like <laughs> having to, having to do fucking senior year of fucking high school after I just like lived like the most uh hardcore fantasy summer of my life like <laughs> like i didn't not give a fuck about school i didn't give a shit about anything but hardcore that <laughs> <I> was <laughs> straight hardcore
0: um so at the same time you mentioned rob fish earlier you guys also you and dan also both play on that first resurrection seven inch too right yeah yeah so were you were you like did those bands must have they overlapped right your your time in both bands
1: yeah well so lifetime was already started for a while like we already had some songs and we were i think playing yeah lifetime was playing shows by then and um rob wasn't doing uh you know he wasn't doing a band at the time and like you know resurrection was like kind of like me and Dan being like come on man let's just like we'll write some songs together we'll get a band going and then like you know we agreed from the beginning like we'll we'll probably just quit and keep doing lifetime but like let's you know like start something you should be singing and um and that's how it started we just like you know wanted to start a band with
0: Rob and so, did the relationship with New Age kind of come about through upfront, or is it just like, I guess it's already like so many New Jersey bands are putting out records on New Age at that point?
1: So, I met Mike uh, when I was in upfront. Because mm-hmm. when we were in California, they knew him and we hung with him. And um, so, I already knew Mike. And um, by the time Lifetime, you know, when we, had songs enough to record like that was our dream label like to me it was like oh my god if i can only be on new age records like and like i love mike because like he really like he made my dreams come true my cards <laughs> um and uh But like, so I remember, I don't know if I remember this story right. Because recently, I think Tim McMahon said some version of this story. So I'm not sure exactly how it happened. In my mind, I got in touch with Mike and sent him the demo. And he said, yes, I'll put it out. And that was it um you know i already had an in i had my foot in the door at new age records
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know the man on the inside were you like what was it about that label is it the you know the turning point lp like what were some of the records on there that you thought were you know it, it, it is an incredible label like when you go through like just so many awesome hardcore bands from all over the u.s you know like it was like you really picked bands from all over the place
1: Yeah. I don't know. Like it was, he just, to me, it was the hottest label at, Mm -hmm. at the time. Like there was, you know, like there were, there really wasn't anything else. Like he, he seemed so professional to me. Like, you know, like in my mind I was like signing to like a a major label or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) little did i realize like every label was like a kid in his mom's house with some records in the garage you know which is the way it should
0: be (laughs) yep and then when it's not that's when you know something's up when you're like if they've got (laughs) enough money off this thing to afford a warehouse space (laughs) yeah (laughs) i have a warehouse
1: space and an elevator
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i always heard uh that um Oh, I, I remember I guess I read it even at the time that lifetime was kind of like a conscious reaction to how violent things were getting in hardcore. Is that something that's kind of been like played up over the years or was that really something that you guys talked about in the very beginning?
1: No we we had a we had a mission mm-hmm. my friend. We like you know like when we so our whole thing was, yeah, so at that point like New York hardcore was really. Saying it was dead isn't really nice, but like it was, you know, like all the all the original bands had broken up at that point. Um, and then, you know, CB's wasn't putting on shows, and it was just real like a real lull. Mm-hmm. I think like all the New York guys kind of just didn't really know what to do for a while. And um so like what really came out you know, then what was left over was, like, super tough guy shit. Like, that's when, like, gangster, like, just, like, you know, I want to, like, you know, just, like, baseball bats and whatever. So, like, we were, like, we're, we're going to have flowers. We're going to be, like, the opposite of baseball bats and, like, chains. So we're going to like, flowers and, like, that kind of stuff. We're still going to play heavy stuff, you know, because we're still, like, you know – we still love new york hardcore but we're going to like then throw in like melodic parts so like it was the whole thing was like thought out um you know ahead of time you know like you know Dan and I always had like a a, a plan mm-hmm. you know the the really the thing that separates you know and it and it's still that's still like our motto kind of you know especially with like music it's like you know we just figured out a way to make it less jarring you know like the mix between a mosh part and like a melodic part you know like um you know when lifetime first started it'd be like straight mosh part and then another part and you know like it took us a while to like sort of be able to combine all those things so it just is a thing
0: yeah, like I think the the early stuff almost sounds like not like a different band because obviously your voice is there and things like that, but like it almost sounds like you're singing in a different band because it is like a, yeah. a you know like a, it is it's so heavy. Yeah. Um was that like how did that go over? Like the idea that you're, you know, kind of revolution revolution summering hardcore at that point? Um I don't know. I think it was the
1: right like it you know, I, I I think people didn't love us, <laughs> but like enough people liked us. You know, I'm always surprised. Like, I always I'm kind of a jerk about our first LP, and and you know, I always kind of put it down. But like, and then like, you know, a lot of people really love it, and um, I don't know. It's just like you know, it, it was still like you were allowed to be experimental. And, um, you know, like, um, what's it called? Turning point guys did like, uh, what was that Godspeed? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't know, a lot of like, I don't know. There's it's a lot of like, it, you were allowed to experiment a little bit, you know, and we were okay with being made fun of. We knew we'd be made fun of with the flowers and stuff like that. You know, we wanted to be different. You know, we wanted to stand out as not like being the regular hardcore
0: band. It's almost like that period, you you know, like you talked about earlier, there was this thing where no one wanted to be the same band and then everyone starts getting tries to go really uniform and everyone starts playing sort of the same sort of stuff. And then almost like it breaks down again and everyone's kind of doing completely different things. Like you look at that, what is it the uh uh the uh word not the 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 comp that had the triple X dog tags on it that you guys are on? Can't remember what it's called now oh right 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 but but that compilation like you look at every single band on that sounds different like yeah you know it's like once again kind of like everyone's figuring out their own thing in it yeah it was um
1: that was a, a a pretty cool time for sure like there was like um a lot of like cool politics being introduced and you know a lot of like that's when like people started doing fests and like, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, no one, no one sounded the same yet. It changed. It changed when uh, the, the next time it changed is when like the, you know, bringing it back youth crew, whatever came
0: back. You don't think like there was that kind of that period where like that victory just before that, where like victory records was blowing up it just seemed like everyone was doing like chug you know like it was like there was almost like that but then i know exactly what you're saying like youth crew happened and everyone's like okay youth crew yeah yeah
1: yeah i guess the i don't know i didn't really get too wrapped up in the victory stuff you know yeah a lot of my friends were like loving integrity Mm -hmm. i remember that um yeah there's a lot of chug
0: still a lot of chug Still a lot of chugging. Chug comes back every once in a while. I think people, yeah. it dies down and then people, people want that chug again. <laughs> Can't get enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> when did you, like, when did that shift happen where you guys did kind of, like for you, when did that shift happen where you guys kind of did start, you know, speeding up and finding that, you know, melody that, the, kind of like what would become your sound? Um.
1: you know you know, we did the when we did a, we did a seven inch um the tonight is seven inch. Mm-hmm. And it was at that point, like I was really listening to, I just was listening to like everything and anything. like I was really into like screeching weasel at the time. like I was just like, any kind like, there was just so much fucking good music, like from pop punk that was going on and, and to like indie rock that was going on. And, um, like, I was really listening to like, um, like super, uh, super chunk. And, um, I, I, I don't know, like, so I was really, um, pushing for like, um, just like fast hardcore with like as as melodic as possible. And, um, you know, Dan was always, Dan always had a great ear is like much of a hard guy. He is, he's like the melody master. And, um, you know, we just like painfully worked through it, like how to play faster, how to like have more melody and less chug how to like keep it heavy without it being you know too like tough guy you know like um took a while Mm -hmm. it took a a really long time
0: it's funny you brought up super chunk there because i never thought about that until you said it but like obviously you don't sound like super chunk but at the same time like that i i never would have thought of that as an influence but like yeah i can totally see that and i i think that's a band that kind of gets overlooked as a punk band, because to me, they are one of the best melodic punk bands ever.
1: Oh my God, so sick. Like, I remember when I first discovered them, I was like obsessed for a long time. I mean, I tried ripping so much shit off. See, that's the good thing about not having a great voice is like you could try, you could be straight up ripping shit off. And you just don't sound like that thing you're trying to rip off. So it's exactly. like people think you're being like totally, uh, you know, new.
0: <laughs> oh, you're giving away all the trade secrets right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, like, honestly, I could talk to you forever. This is amazing. And as I've been telling you, this is something I've wanted to do since I was like 15 years old. Would you come back at some point and do a part two?
1: Absolutely. Anytime.
0: But before I let you go, can I ask you a couple more questions? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. I want to just kind of circle back to what we're, I know we're jumping all over the place time-wise, but I want to circle back to what we were talking about off air before. And just like, you know, sort of this, this idea that, you know, like you're in a band, but at a certain point, you have to figure out like what to do in real life. Like as, as amazing as bands are, and as important as bands are, like, it's not sustainable as a career in the long term especially once you have a family in in a lot of cases unless you're a huge rock band but i just wanted to to talk to you a little bit about that like what was the point where you realized you know like as important as this band is i got to do something else well it was you know all the touring
1: we did like in the you know after like between Hello Bastards and breaking up, you know, it's like, I felt like I was getting really old. Mm -hmm. I think I was like 22. (laughs) And, you know, I felt like, you know, I felt like this pressure, this like anxiety about what am I gonna do with my life? Because honestly, I didn't think hardcore music was gonna last like, I felt like it was just like this thing. Like, I didn't think I was gonna be in a band you know, in another year, I didn't think, um, you know, I didn't realize I was going to be playing music my whole life. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I thought it was just like something I'm, I'm doing now and when it's done, then I have to join the real world. And so like, I just used to like, you know, make no money in the band and then like go home with like, you know, a hundred dollars after being on tour for two months and um, it really started to stress me out. And like all the other guys in the band, well, besides uh, Scotty GoBots, they were all like, they had already been to college. They graduated college. They sort of like had something to fall back on. They had an exit, exit strategy, as you said. And uh, like, it, I just started, I, I saw that it wasn't sustainable um, to be in a band, you know, like what what really happened was I realized, like when when Lifetime was getting sorta of big, we went on tour. The tour that you saw us on. Weston um, tour, right? No, the um, that show we played with.
0: Uh, were you guys AFI. on? I, oh, I, I, were you guys on? I always thought it was you guys on tour with Weston, and that just linked up with their tour. Who else played that show? It was uh, Weston, you guys, Trigger Happy, AFI, Good Riddance, and, and Ignite was supposed good, to play. It's good riddance,
1: right? So like Lifetime yeah. got a, a, a run with good riddance. And that okay. was like that was like us breaking into like we were talking about before, like the <laughs> the West Coast money machine, like the like oh this is big time. They're on fat records, we're gonna be like playing mm-hmm. with them. And um, they're really nice guys. They're like lifetime fans and everything. But like, that's the tour that I realized that I didn't have what it takes to be in a super big, super famous band. Like, I just didn't have like the stage presence. I didn't have like the like the ability to like banter it up and all that shit. And I realized like like I, this isn't like making money isn't where like, isn't my thing in music. It's not going to be my thing in music. Um, And so like, you know, from that, like from that time in my life, to when I actually got a real job, which wasn't, you know, it was only like about 15 years ago. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I stressed about like, what the hell am I going to do? Yeah. How the hell do you know what you're going to do in life? You know, but like for me, Like, it took me a long time to come back to, and I like it where I'm at now because, like, I still play music and put out records and, like, like get to do everything I want to do and more. And, like, but, like, not depending on it as a monetary thing is, like, really nice because, like, it's all fucking enjoyable and it's all just, like, just because I want to do it.
0: Yeah, like it. 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 Uh, it. It seems like that's the dream, right? Where you, where you have it, and you can always come back to it, but at the same time, you're not, you're not dependent on it.
1: Yeah, I have this like some fucking how, I like, am gonna be fifty, and I have this like weird little musical career that like I get to do like all this fun shit, and it's fucking great, you know, and it like keeps going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's oh, also Mike's so lucky. Well, and just how many other people did that, you know, lead to them having a musical career, you know, from inspiration. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. you know, myself included, awesome. you know, um, <laughs> I, cause I always wondered at the time, cause it felt like, you know, New Jersey's best dancers comes out and, like it, it it. i don't know like how it felt to be in the band but it felt like that record exploded like every single person had a copy of that thing and it was in every single person's car on like a dub tape or a cd at that point did did like you know you mentioned not till you open the record store that you're aware of it but did you ever have any temptation because even with zero zero it didn't feel like you guys were going for it like i don't think you guys did a warp tour or any sort of like the the hallmarks of a band trying to go pro core
1: No, I, I, I suffer from not being able to go pro. I just like, I don't have it in me. Um, I like making, I like writing songs and making records. That's my favorite thing. Like that's what I dream about. Um, All the other stuff is like the stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, like the shows and all that stuff. Like I'm just not good at that stuff. (laughs) I just like making the songs and the records um the other stuff is hard
0: yeah yeah it takes it 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 feels like it takes a certain type of anxiety to want to get up there like you're saying some people are afraid to sing like so to be able to get up there and do that on stage but it's the same sort of anxiety that should preclude you from doing this kind of job because it it ultimately just eats away at your soul yeah it's
1: it's just you know like uh a need to do it (laughs)
0: yeah um well one thing we have to talk about before i let you go is the uh the great moment the shutdown show of toronto 90s toronto punk rock which is the infamous afi riot which (laughs) happened at the opera house uh the aforementioned show what are your memories of that show because that you know once again like you guys i think on a musical level kind of stole that show for a lot of people i think a lot of people left that like just lifetime fans but at the same time it also is a show that the music was overshadowed by other events
1: yeah so i remember i don't remember a lot um but i so i remember it's like one of the biggest shows of the tour and um i remember feeling like we did okay i don't i don't like you say we like won some fans so that's good so but um But I remember standing in the back of the hall. I remember the bouncers, right? This is during AFI, right? And Mm -hmm. AFI was playing. (laughs) And I had never heard of AFI before that night. And um, they were like the big band and people were going crazy. And the bouncers, I think, were like fucking with the kids, right? Yeah. And then the singer for AFI is like, he starts like fucking with the with the bouncers on the mic. And I, I remember I was standing in the back of the club being like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> like, I was just talking to myself, like, that's not good. Like he was like saying shit. Like, do you remember anything that he was saying? I feel like he was like goading them on goading the crowd on to like, that we could take the bouncers or something like that.
0: The the collective, memory that I've kind of <laughs> pieced together in the uh Ken Burns documentary of my mind that I'm putting together <laughs> about this night um he, he uh he the security guards were being extremely rough. there wasn't a barricade which was you know a big problem of at that time because security guards did not know how to deal with a barricadeless crowd and there was like a thousand kids there
1: yeah, um,
0: so they they were kind of being rough with these kids oh no, they weren't kind of they were being really rough with these kids and I remember Davy saying, don't hit another kid or you're not going to like what's happens or something to that effect. And then uh, a security guard grabbed a person. I know the person that claims to be this person now, but I don't I don't really believe him. But grabbed the guy, smashed him against the wall, the kid spat in the security guard's face and the security guard just like backhanded the shit out of the kid. And then Davey just said, "Everybody get the fucking security guards." And right, right. <laughs> the whole crowd descended on these yeah. security guards
1: so so the next memory i have is me trying to get paid i was like we bet i better get fucking paid before this fucking goes crazy so i remember i go into the manager's office and then who else was in there with me
0: uh, I, an, go on sorry i think it was another band
1: dude oh it was scott uh the, the scotty Gobots a drummer for lifetime and we're in there and all of a sudden the riot like comes in there and they, the bouncers spill into this little office that me and Scotty Goebots are in trying to get paid. And all of a sudden the room's filled with these fucking huge bouncers and and Davey, right? Davey Havoc. Yep. And, uh, and like they were threatening to like fucking kill him. <laughs> it was fucking scary as hell.
0: Yep and there Good. was another I think Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I think we got paid. Yeah. I th- I think what happened, because it was, the show was done by Jill Heath who actually, she like managed black flag for like a hot minute. And, uh, she like did shows for the misfits. Like she was like a, a legendary show promoter. So I'd like to think <laughs> that even in that chaos, she made sure that you guys got paid. Yeah. Well, I um, have, I've kept you for a very long time, Ari and, Anytime you want to come back and reminisce, not just about the AFI riot, but anything, because there's a million more questions I could ask you, <laughs> please know that you're you're always welcome here.
1: Anytime, buddy. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's
0: fun. Thank you, Ari, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Ari will be back for a part two at some point in the future, because I forgot to ask him about being a get hip recording artist. This guy's got to have one of the most eclectic careers in punk rock. Anyway, we will get to that in a part two. Check out Beach Rats. They are phenomenal. That's his latest project. But, oh, you know you you know, Lifetime. We all know Lifetime. If you don't know Lifetime, check out Lifetime, too. Uh, Zero, zero. Anyway, check out all this stuff. And uh, he'll, he'll be back one day, and we'll talk more about all this stuff. But speaking of coming back. Later on this week, coming back to the show following one of the greatest episodes of all time recorded a few years ago, (laughs) Julian Baker is here. This is a monster. This is a great episode. I don't want to overhype it, but... Oh, I'm excited for you to hear this one. This is a good episode. Oh, (laughs) she's an incredible songwriter. Uh, If you're not familiar with her solo work or her work with the group Boy Genius, she is an unbelievable songwriter. And also one of my favorite people in the world to talk to about punk rock. You'll hear this all next week. Check out her part one. If you have not checked out her part one, I went back and re-listened to it, and my gosh, it's amazing. All right, that's it. Remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to help trans people protect themselves. And we also need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people. Um, basically, we need to smash fascism. We need to stand up and get involved Lend our voice, lend our financial support if we can, lend our physical support if we can in terms of going to protests or demonstrations. And just making it known that <laughs> this life is, is too short and this world is too small to have Nazi fascist assholes running around imposing their wills upon people. That's, that's the long and the short of it. Uh, go out there and make your own culture. It'll help you feel better. You know, you might, might just be making a drawing for yourself. You know, just, just draw something. Do something creative. You know, you don't have to do anything and put it out in the world. Make a podcast. This shit is so easy. <laughs> anyone can do this. Um, but it, it'll help. Speaking of helping, lately for me, meditation has helped. I don't know if it's going to help for anyone else. I didn't believe in this shit at all. And and now I, I really do find it has uh, made my life a lot better. So try it. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you're not going to need them, and it can help someone else prolong their life. So why not do it? Donate blood if you can. You don't have to do any of this stuff, but these are things. Well, you, you have to fucking hate Nazis. I think mean, <laughs> that's a given. But like, you don't have to do any of this other stuff. It just it might make the world a better place. Um, and that's it. I think. I love you. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. And I'll see you next episode. Oh, and listen to Oil and Flowers. Boot and I talking about cannabis. It has its own channel up here. If you don't listen to this, head over there. If you don't like cannabis, probably don't want to listen to that. Um, but that's it. See you next episode. Thanks for listening.